Hello, and welcome to the Guardian Test Prep Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Seitz. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Seitz, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Guardian Test Prep, an NREMT test prep company that specializes in helping EMT and paramedic students pass their national registry exam. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. I conducted a series of riddles in order to test your memory and intelligence. I don't want to do that. Are you ready? Nope. There's a plane flying over the jungle. It has 100 gold bars. Each gold bar is 101 pounds, which has a uh, transfer rate of American dollars to be about $116.45. One gold bar falls out. How many gold bars do you have in the plane? 99. Good. Next question. How do you put an elephant in the refrigerator? Three steps. Uh, what? You open the refrigerator, you put the elephant in, you shut the refrigerator. Next, how do, what are the four steps to put in a giraffe in the refrigerator? Open the refrigerator, put the giraffe in the refrigerator, close the refrigerator? No, there's four steps. You got to take the elephant out. Oh, okay. All right, so you put the elephant in the refrigerator. <laughs> the king of the jungle is going to have a meeting with all the animals. All right? Mm-hmm. One animal doesn't show up. Who is it and why? It's a giraffe. You just put them in the refrigerator. Right? <laughs> You're with a hunter. <laughs> anyway, welcome everybody to the Guardian Test Prep Back to Basic podcast. Uh, we are excited to be here today to bring you another new exciting topic. It's going to be high altitude sicknesses. Illnesses. Illnesses? Yeah, All right. Close enough. I actually feel like students ask us to cover this a lot. Yeah, well, so we did the scuba diving one. Mm-hmm. We did the podcast about scuba diving. We talked about decompression illness. And we talked about like elevation issues under pressure, you know, below sea level and at sea level. Right. And then that kind of naturally stimulates that. Well, what happens if we go up high? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So um, I think the high ones are easier in my oh, opinion. Oh, it's way easier yeah. to understand. Way easier to understand. It's so much more about oxygen uh, or blood production than it has anything to do with like Depth pressures and like compression of volumes. gases and all that kind of stuff. Like you don't have to worry about it so much. Awesome. Um, we'll talk about that when we get into Dalton's Law. One of the reasons I wanted to do this is that uh, Natalie and I are going to Colorado in a couple weeks here. Mm-hmm. I think like third, second or third week of August, we're going to do some climbing. But um, our father, you and I's father, um, recently went, well, not recently, like the last five years went to Colorado. Remember he flew? So we're flying. So when, when yeah. you and I have ever gone to Colorado, we've gone a couple hiking trips couple mountain biking trips. Right. We drove out there. Mm-hmm. So we've acclimated pretty easily just by driving out there. I've never flown to Colorado and like done stuff, but dad did. And like, he like landed and then they went hiking right away yeah, on like a 14er. Yeah, yeah. And like, he got like super sick, like had acute mountain sickness, like was just on his butt for like nearly the whole week. Like it mm-hmm. took him days to like recover from it. Yeah. Um, last time you anxiety and, about that. The last time <laughs> so, you and I were in Colorado, I think you got hypothermia. I did. Yeah, yeah. I'm out. So, why did you have to bring that up? I don't know. No, I just <laughs> we'll do, we do it. You should do it on hypothermia. Yeah, that was freaky, man. Yeah, it was scary. But yeah, so if you're driving to Colorado, um, yeah, you're flying. So something you need to think about yeah, high altitude think about high altitude because you don't have that time to acclimate, right? We'll talk about how a lot of the treatment is just making sure that you acclimate. You can like there's prevention and then there's treatment for mm-hmm. it, right? Absolutely. So, so yeah, I want to get into it. The first thing I want to talk about is Dalton's law. So we talked a lot about nope. <laughs> we talked a lot about like the physics principles of Boyle's law when we talked about scuba diving stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
where like you know different gas concentrations stuff like that volumes pressure volume and pressure yeah that kind of stuff Dalton's law has to do with concentrations of partial pressures of gas okay so all it is saying is that like there is air is made up of twenty one percent oxygen about right right that doesn't change at altitude. The 21% thing doesn't change. Mm -hmm. The total number of air particles changes. Okay. So there is less relatively. Well, no, there's actually less, but percentage-wise, it's not less of a percentage, right? There's there's less air. Yeah, exactly. So like people say like there you have you're at 50% oxygen at whatever, you know, like well, like on Everest, I think they say you're basically receiving like 33% or it might be 66. I forget what side of it is, but like less oxygen, Mm -hmm. right? That's not because the oxygen concentration in air is different on Everest. It's because there's literally less air. The air that's what we say the the air is thinner, meaning that it has less molecules of oxygen nitrogen these different things in it but the percentage wise is the same it's still 21 percent of those lesser ones yeah yeah. so if i have 100 particles 21 of those are oxygen right if i have 200 particles 42 of those are oxygen right so if i go down to 50 half of 21 math math. right i'm a paramedic (laughs) (laughs) um so just something to understand right this isn't about it's not like diving. Diving, we had to figure out like compression of gases, same same amount of gases, but the compression, there's more particles because we're compressing that and then we're breathing it in. So we have way more. And then as we come back up, those expand and release. We don't have to worry about that with this. All we have to understand is the air is thinner. Mm-hmm. So we're getting less oxygen right. in general, right? So the same percentage. Yes. Same percentage of oxygen, less oxygen overall. Got it. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about the function of hemoglobin and oxygen exchange in the body so we can move on to sure. pathophysiology. Because a lot of what this high altitude illnesses, uh, like, like Jason said earlier, it's, it's more about um, blood production, how blood uses oxygen. I mean, that's the, that's the whole point, right? So hemoglobin, as you guys know, is in the red blood cells. Hemoglobin molecules carry four oxygen or can carry four oxygen, Right. There's, they bind to, oxygen binds to iron in hemoglobin. There's four iron molecules in a hemoglobin molecule and oxygen binds to those different sites. So four, so if you want to saturate all of your blood with oxygen, you would fill every hemoglobin molecule with four oxygen. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how that works. Mm -hmm. So obviously he said then that, you know, those blood cells exchange that oxygen. Is there Uh, one hemoglobin molecule in a red blood cell? No, there's lots. Okay, I thought so. There's lots of hemoglobin. So one blood cell might have many hemoglobins. Correct. Each has four oxygen on it. Mm-hmm. Correct. So when we talk about saturating our hemoglobin, we're talking about are we binding all four sites, right? Mm-hmm. This is also why in CPR, the, we don't really worry as much as we used to about ventilation. Ventilation, because if you've got four oxygen, you don't use all four every time the blood circulates. You maybe use one or two, right? So you, you could probably circulate the blood a couple times before you really completely run out of oxygen yeah and hemoglobin has nothing on it anymore yeah makes sense yeah cool so that's what hemoglobin does yep finds oxygen Mm -hmm. pretty simple concept your blood gets oxygen and we use it correct cool so Back to basics. If there's less oxygen, <laughs> this is a very simple. I mean, for for one of our podcasts, right. we just did a rhabdomyolysis. All right, yeah. So because time's weird, we like literally a half hour ago sat down and did the rhabdomyolysis. If you listened last week, you probably understand how much of a craft show that was. <laughs> so you know, very complicated. This is a lot easier to explain. All right, if we have less oxygen in not less oxygen in the air, but less air in general, so we're receiving less oxygen. Obviously, we're going to have effects on our body. Mm-hmm. So. 
we're going to have hypoxic-like effects, right. not enough oxygen. Typically, there are three types of high-altitude illness that we worry about. There is acute mountain illness, which we'll talk about. There is HAPE, which stands for high-altitude pulmonary edema. Mm -hmm. And then there is HACE, which is very misunderstood, and it's high-altitude cerebral edema. Correct. Right. All right? And really quick, before we jump into what you know each one of those look like, but the other thing, so when we talk about what the body does, so there are people who live at higher altitudes than people who live at lower altitudes. And we talk about our body acclimating. Well, there's a couple of ways our body can acclimate. It's not going to, our bodies can't do anything with like making more air, right? Our body doesn't make more air, but it can make more hemoglobin, right? So it it more can make cells. more red blood cells and it can make more hemoglobin. So if I like, if it's, you know, twice as hard for me to fill my hemoglobin up, I can either get more oxygen, which I can't because I'm at altitude, or I can double the amount of red blood cells and hemoglobin I have. And now percentage wise, I have the same as I would have before. So I'm going to go off on a tangent here. Okay. Cool. This is why. So the Olympics are going on right now. Mm -hmm. And also the Tour de France is going on right now. Oh. So I want to touch on both. Okay. Because both have to do with this sort of thing. All right. right? The Tour de France, by the time you listen to this, the Tour de France will have been over. Who knows? Sure. But the Olympics won't though, right? I don't know. We're like four weeks or something. I don't know. Maybe this time is weird with podcasts. For, time is weird with podcasts. Maybe this releases yesterday. Nope. That's the one thing that can't happen. Okay. All right. Okay. So um, this is why athletes will train at high altitudes. Mm -hmm. So they go to a high altitude and people act like, oh, it's such a harder workout. Well, not really after some time, right? They go there to get their body acclimated to producing more red blood cells. Now they have basically like a higher VO2 max. So then when they go and perform a low altitude, they have more blood cells than you or I would. And it's kind of cheating. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it's not cheating because yeah. you can, but like if everybody doesn't have access to that, like there is arguments sometimes where well, that's cheating, but that's what blood doping is too. Right. With, that's what I was going to say. With the Tour de France. So like Lance Armstrong and as well as many other athletes in the Tour de France were caught with this huge scandal of in blood doping. Well, instead of, so instead of training at altitude so that they made more blood, they were just, injecting themselves with more blood so they were taking it was their own blood right they were taking their own blood and they were injecting it back into themselves to be oversaturated with red blood cells so they take the blood out their body made more to replace that and then they put that back in yeah i don't know is that really cheating i saw i there's arguments about right. it so and i think that what makes it what truly makes it cheating is that they didn't have to put in any work to do it sure and not everyone has access to that Okay, you know what I'm saying? Fair. But then can't you make the same argument for high altitude training? Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like when you send someone for high altitude training and if everybody can't, if the, if the, you know, the Olympian from, you know, Zimbabwe can't do that because there's not mountains around them. I don't know nothing there's, about Zimbabwe. I'm sure there's plenty there's of mountains in Zimbabwe. <laughs> I just say, I just say, right? saying, I'm yeah. trying to think of like a flat area. I don't know right. what a country is that's flat, but if not everyone has access to that, is it fair? I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm. And I don't really know what the current Olympic standings are with that, but I'm pretty sure there's quite a few Olympic facilities that are at altitude. Yeah, I'm sure. Like training facilities. Yeah. Someone will get in the comments and be like, you're totally wrong. In 1984, this was, you know, <laughs> right, banned. Right. I, I don't know. But that's, that's a good the question. general idea, right? When you say, is it cheating with the blood doping thing? Like, it's your own blood. I think part of me, like, like, like the, me the medical, yeah, the medical nerd in me is kind of like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. There's a joke documentary that HBO came out with called Tour de Pharmacy. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, it's a mockumentary completely, but it like invented, have you seen it? No. Have I ever showed you this? No. It's got Andy Sandberg in it okay. and a couple of those goofy guys that I like, but uh, John Cena's in it and he oh, plays really? like a roided out. <laughs> like, it's really funny. But um, they like make a joke that 
John Cena's character takes the blood of a cheetah because it has the highest, it has the highest VO2 max, and he puts it in his in his own blood. So he mixed cheetah blood with his own. <laughs> that's like how he goes. It's like about the scandal, right. you know, joking around. But yeah, it is an interesting concept, right? The idea here is more erythrocytes is how our body is going to make up for that. Mm-hmm. So, and what's interesting is if you, we'll talk about prevention of high altitude illnesses, but if you allow your body to acclimate, even within two hours of gradual acclimation, your body instantly starts making more blood cells. Yeah. So you might have trouble when you get to high altitude, like, huh, I feel like I'm having like a little bit of trouble breathing because I'm using up that oxygen. But within two hours, you start to produce that. It might take some time to make it up yeah, completely. Yeah, it doesn't right? take weeks or months or anything. Right. Like that. Well, and that's why even most professional sports, most teams that usually, like if they're if the home team or the the away team is from a lower altitude, they'll come out a day or two early to do their practice sessions before the basketball game or whatever. Yeah. You know, because again, the it helps. Yeah. And it, with everything, extremes are extremes, right? So Everest obviously has a lot thinner air than, you know, the top of Pikes Peak in Colorado, right. than the top of Twin Sisters in Colorado, than, you know, on top of your hill at home, right? right. So, but air does thin out as you get higher. Um, so that's why some climbers of Everest, I think, do all climbers of Everest have to have like supplemental? Because they put the masks on and stuff, right? I don't know. I, I, think, I think when you get up there, you have to. Have I don't know, like Sherpas and stuff did it, right? So are they just super? Did they? I don't know. I kind of made that up. <laughs> like, does a Sherpa take you to the top of the mountain and say, like, okay, four more miles up there, or do they like take you all the way up? I don't know. I don't. I'm gonna be honest. I don't really know what a Sherpa is. It's a like a guide. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. They're like paid. Like, if you want to climb Everest, you like try to find a Sherpa. And I guess it's like part of like their, it's a big part of their like kind of religion and lifestyle to like not go up there more than once but or that's twice. What I was say. Like isn't, isn't so a it's Sherpa, like a big it's not deal. just like some guy who like moved to Colorado and not take people up ever. It's like a Sherpa is more of like a religious, local, local, culturally. I don't know. I don't want to talk. You know, that's what I'm saying. Know. I don't yeah. know what a Sherpa is. If you do email us at podcast, if you're a Sherpa. If you're a Sherpa, please email us at podcast at guardian test prep.com. Is that a real email we have now? Yes, it is. Oh, so we should start saying people should send in their questions to that now. I have been. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> All right. Let's anyway, get back. acute mountain illness or acute mountain sickness, hape and haste. What I like about these is that unlike diving injuries where it's like, you know, decompression sickness. Also and known as the bends. The bend, like these, these are very self-explanatory terms. Acute mountain sickness, AMS, is you basically get sick. High altitude pulmonary edema. You get pulmonary edema, high altitude cerebral edema. You get cerebral edema. Yeah, it's very straightforward. Cool. So let's review some of the symptomology and the pathophysiology of what's going on, right? Essentially, we have less oxygen, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're in a low oxygen environment to our bodies, even though it's still 21% of the environment. It's right. a smaller pressure because the barometric of train changes. Yeah. So we have less oxygen. We're going to respond accordingly. So this makes sense. We're going to have kind of normal hypoxic symptoms like shortness of breath you know weakness fatigue you know we're, we're easily tired hyperventilation um, yep, hyperventilation for compensation to try to bring more more air in you might in severe cases start to get altered mental status because of lack of oxygen to the brain it might um, exacerbate pre-existing conditions you have if you have angina or cardiac issues if you get altered mental status wouldn't that make you start thinking about haste though it wouldn't make you think about haste because your mental status is altered. No, nope, not like that. <laughs> that <was> so perfect. <laughs> so let's review some of the symptomology and the pathophysiology of what's going on. 
we're essentially in a low oxygen environment to us, mm -hmm. even though there's the same percentage of oxygen in the air, there's less air total, right? So we're in a low oxygen environment. So we have hypoxic-like effects of that, right? So we're going to have maybe shortness of breath, you know, difficulty in breathing. We might have hyperventilation. We might have general weakness. Um, you can have dizziness, headache from this. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk a little bit more about, too, why the headache can happen um, as we get into to Haven Haze. And then you also could get systematic systemic effects as well. So systemic yeah. effects like nausea, vomiting. Um, if severe, you can get interruption in like urine output and muscle weakness and fatigue. And again, it's just it's low oxygen. It's it's hypoxia. It's it's what the body experiences with with hypoxia, right? right. I mean, some of the some of them we don't know a lot about. If we're being honest, like I said, we're we're defining these as best as we can. But for for people who are listening or watching, like keep in mind that like we don't really know the pathophysiology of alter mental status or sorry of acute mountain sickness and like high altitude cerebral edema high altitude but like we, yeah. we we think it's due to this hypoxia so like just keep that in mind it's mm -hmm. not that just jason and i don't know it's right. that i'm glad, I'm glad you specified that you're like we don't really know, don't like, really know. <laughs> i mean us as a medical scientific medical, community yes right um so and that's what kind of gets interesting so the big thing where you run into like hape and haste and you start to have like the weakness or the dizziness, the headaches, um, sometimes with, with like haste, like the altered mental status, we think is from blood flow changes. Okay. Dude, so I because of this, this environment where we have a lack of oxygen, you start to have tachycardia. The, the heart starts going faster, mm -hmm. right? And then we have some vasoconstriction in order to try to force more blood movement to increase the relative amount of oxygen going through our system. It's our right? normal compensatory mechanisms of hypoxia happening. So you have symptoms that are happening because of hypoxia by itself. Mm -hmm. And then we start to, we think we start to get symptoms from the compensatory things that are happening, like high, like high heart rate and vasoconstriction, higher blood pressure. Right. Yeah. Okay. So as we have these blood flow changes, this can cause hape or haze. Mm -hmm. So do you want to explain what hape is? Sure. As best as we understand, I think that, so what happens is when you have like, you know, higher blood pressure and, you know, due to lower oxygen levels and that sort of thing, you get vasoconstriction and that, that systemic and, you know, the high blood pressure starts to cause damage to the capillaries and leaking of the capillaries, um, which then that fluid shift can cause edema. If that fluid shift happens in the lungs, then it's high altitude pulmonary edema. You get pulmonary edema, shortness of breath, um, you know, diminished breath sounds and, and things like yeah. that. And so then what that, is pulmonary edema? Pulmonary edema is fluid backing up into the alveoli, right? right? And then that interrupts oxygen exchange in the lungs, right? right? So now like we're propagating the problem a ton. Yeah, exactly. But these this edema happens because of blood flow changes, i.e. hypertension. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then therefore that, that... And it's an acute hypertension. So... The reason people who have normal hypertension don't get pulmonary edema is because they develop that hypertension like over time, acute hypertension. So this is like hypertension that just like suddenly happens in like a couple of hours and continues to happen systemically. That's damaging to the capillaries. It's not like they right. built this ability to, you know, yeah. th th does that make sense? So it's yeah, not well, like someone a, who usually has chronic hypertension has developed that as a compensatory mechanism or through a disease process over time and your body has time to change right. and adapt to that. Right. So when we have acute hypertension, and again, the acute hypertension is not due to an increase in fluid. It's due to the systemic vasoconstriction, which like 
the muscles of the arteries have to work to do that and they that that's hard work to do and then again so that causes damage that pulmonary and, pressure increases and then yeah and causes leakage damage and, exactly so cool pulmonary pressure from the hypertension and the blood flow changes we have increased pulmonary pressure which damages capillaries makes them leak and then makes them kind of backflow back into the alveoli mm-hmm. causing us to have difficulty breathing in wet lungs right right yep. and that that's where we we hear things like Rowls or rails, mm-hmm. depending on mm-hmm. how, you, how you pronounce it, right? The yep. bubbling. Um, cool. Pace is a little different. I'm just going to tell you right now, we, as a medical community, not mm-hmm. just me and Chris, <laughs> um, we don't know why haze happens. We just don't. But we think it's similar to what's happening with HAPE. But what's happening with high-altitude cerebral edema is for some reason we're having um, basically increased cerebral edema or fluid in the, in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is increasing intracranial pressure and causing that whole symptomology. And we're supposing that this is probably helping happening from similar things like vasoconstriction causing damage and leakage, but now the leakage is in the brain. Does that sound about right? Yeah. We don't really know. So, right. The, the symptomatology that we're looking out for with, with HACE is where this fluid on the brain, this increased intracranial pressure, um, is causing neurological conditions right so if we have altered mental state like if we have acute mountain sickness and we also have altered mental status well, we have a high index of suspicion for this haste now and that's concerning right mm-hmm. if we have ataxia or decreased muscle coordination um even to the to, to the serious point of going into a coma mm-hmm. right so these huge neurological deficits when we see that combined with these more hypoxic effects that's where we start to get very concerned about haste. And it's usually acute. So like one thing that like I used to think that like this was a progression. It's not really like acute mountain sickness, high altitude pulmonary edema, high altitude cerebral edema. They it's not like you progress from one to another as you move up. Like any of them can occur at any time based mm. on. And, and that's this, I think what happened to our pops. Right. I think that's right. what happened to dad is like it's not like dad was a paramedic for 35 years. Like. Yeah if he was gradually going up and his head started to hurt worse and worse and worse and he started to feel dizzy, like, he's not an idiot, he would have stopped, right? right like, right. it hit him very suddenly, all of a sudden, nausea, vomiting, feeling sick. Well, and that's the thing. So what will happen, too, is, like, someone who develops these symptoms will usually develop them, like, acutely. Like, they're fine, and all of a sudden, they're not. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, they're very short of breath, can't catch their breath. You know, they've developed, it's almost like, you would almost think a PE happened kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, but it's because they almost get this, like, Maybe, maybe almost like more of like a flash pulmonary edema in hate or all of a sudden like they're perfectly fine and then all of a sudden they're just completely confused and ataxic. Mm-hmm. I mean, people like have walked off Everest and stuff because of like haste, things like that. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, spooky. they just like ataxia, just like, bye. And that's what the Sherpa's for. I don't... Reels you back in. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but again, so these, these the, this isn't like a continuum of worsening and like the higher you get. Mm-hmm. And there's no specific altitude, right? Because it completely depends on how much your body has acclimated, not acclimated, and all that kind of stuff too. So for you, it might be at five feet of altitude. And for me, it might be at 2000 feet. I don't think it's going to be at five feet. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it, it right. doesn't, there's no you know specific thing. Yeah. So, but so that, and that's why assessment's so important. So if you start to see general systems of acute mountain illness, not that big of a deal. Those aren't huge concerns, like life-threatening concerns. But if you start to see neurological deficits, that should always be a red flag for yeah. us, right? So that's where we're thinking, okay, Neurological deficits can happen from high altitude too. It's called haste, right? It's the cerebral edema. We might start to have that ICP triad, right? So just things to pay attention to and kind of differentiate from. And it's not one of these things where like when you start seeing symptoms of acute mountain sickness, 
you're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Let's keep climbing either because you know that you could develop these other things. And it's not. And if someone is saying like, oh man, I'm really short of breath, maybe we start to consider that they're maybe not just fatigued from climbing the mountain. Maybe yeah. there could be other things going on. So again, having that index of suspicion, knowing these yeah. things exist is important. And athletes, you know, will feel like when you go to high altitude, you will feel yeah. like you're having trouble catching your breath a little bit. But there's a difference between that and I feel dizzy. Right? And typically it like so another thing that kind of differentiates these conditions from just normal acclimation is that they don't go away. Mm-hmm. So you stop to rest and guess what? You're still short of breath. Yeah. You've been sitting there for 10 minutes and you're still short of breath. Like you're not recovering right. at all. Yeah. So that brings us to our treatment, how we handle it. And the biggest, most definitive, like, test question answer is always going to be descent. Yeah. Okay, so if you're up high and it's causing the issue, how do we fix the issue? We bring you back down low. Right. Now, you might not have to descend to sea level. You just need to descend off the, the right. high altitude that you're in. So just start descending, and you're likely going to see a reduction or elimination of those symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we need to add on to that, we can start talking about oxygen, right? Because we know that mm-hmm. this is an oxygen deprivation issue, right? So we can give them supplemental oxygen, but we do kind of run into the issue of does that solve the underlying problem? Again, it's not really the amount of oxygen, but it is, <laughs> but it's not the amount of oxygen that they're, they're getting, right? It's about how much oxygen they can carry in their blood, right? right. So I'm not going to give them, I'm not going to blood dope them. I can't give them more blood. Saturating the, their current hemoglobin is great, but they may still have symptoms because they just don't quite have enough hemoglobin to be able to handle that altitude. Right. 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 So bring them down where, where, where that's more balanced out. Um, steroids, kind of like long-term stuff, like to handle some of those blood flow issues. Um, steroids are an option. And then there are two meds that are often used that I'll let you review because I can't pronounce meds well. Um, so the, the two medications you'll run into, so acetazolamide is one of them. I'm not going to get into what acetazolamide does. It's a diuretic, it's right? It's a diuretic, it, right. It, it takes off that, it gets rid of that hypertension, it, that it, high blood well, pressure. Yeah, and it get rid, gets rid of some of that fluids. Again, this is a uh, temporizing thing. It's not really solving the problem. Like your body still has to acclimate itself. Your body yeah. still has to do this kind of thing. Um, the other thing is that we will use, like, so if it's, if we think it's a blood pressure, severe blood pressure issue, we need to lower the blood pressure. We think that might help. We'll use nifedipine. Um, again, I, I don't know... Because we don't know a lot about these things and what's really causing them, I hate to jump into like exactly how these medications work to reduce it because we don't really know. We've yeah. found that a diuretic like acetazolamide, we found that like, you know, a, a blood uh, pressure med like, yeah, like nifedipine, a calcium channel blocker like nifedipine. Obviously, we're treating symptoms at this point. We're yeah. treating symptoms and not, like I said, the underlying problem is the altitude, so we'll descend them. Sometimes, if it's ser- severe, like high altitude cerebral edema, we'll put these papers patients in a hyperbaric chamber, hyperbaric chamber. just and, like we would do with diving right, right. And, and bring and them simulate back to back depth to sea level. which like yeah. their depth to sea level not you know i mean that's what's yeah. old. so if it's an acute issue because some of these things are self-propagating right so like mm-hmm. you've got leakage you have cerebral edema now you've got more hypoxia so sometimes if we need to rapidly get you know get their body back down to a normal level they don't have time to acclimate they don't have time to make more hemoglobin more red blood cells so we're gonna put well it's funny because when you started talking you were like we obviously can't change the air that's what you said, right? You're right, like, right? We can't change the air, so our body makes more blood cells because right. we can only change us. Like with a with a hyperbaric chamber, you can change. Yeah, the that's air, true. Right? Yeah, yeah, so exactly. like that's yeah, what's yeah. cool about in hospital treatment, right? They, yeah. they if you get to a hyperbaric chamber, they can do that. Yeah, won't always be necessary, only in extreme cases. Yeah, but things that you can think about. So pre hospitally, 
just dissent is going to be your most important thing. Mm-hmm. Monitoring, monitoring for symptoms of hape and haste is going to be important because it's not just, oh, they're dizzy and lightheaded because it's not enough oxygen. It's not just a hypoxic issue. This can turn into a pulmonary edema issue, mm-hmm. which self-propagates, right. or a cerebral edema issue, which could be very serious. Um, and then, you know, consider oxygen. Obviously, that, that may help. And you may be instructed by online medical direction to give a steroid or something like that in order to kind of help with the blood flow and decrease edema and inflammation, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that. Um, beyond that, I just want to touch on some prevention stuff. How do you stop this from happening in the first place? How are me and Natalie going to handle going to Colorado? Like, are we all going to get haste and die up there? No. You can prevent this by allowing your body to acclimate. It's as simple as that. So there's a few ways that we can do that. One is just time. You know what I mean? Time gradually ascending instead of just rapidly ascending, gradually ascending and letting your body get acclimated. Um, limited exertion, not a good idea in a low oxygen environment to go ham on stuff and just start going nuts, right? right. And really exert yourself a ton. Um, you can sleep. If you allow your body to sleep at a lower altitude or at gradual altitudes while you're sleeping, when you're not demanding a ton of oxygen of yourself, your body's going to make those erythrocytes and, and, that's and balance. One, and that's better. one of the problems that happens in high altitude illnesses is that if you... If you um are require if you're like kind of like hyperventilating and requiring a bunch of extra oxygen and and you don't descend and you sleep there, you continue to use that energy that during sleep. If you descend a little bit and then sleep there, your body isn't taxed anymore. So now it can much more efficiently create more red blood cells and things. Well, and that's what happened to our dad. Like he got there, landed, didn't sleep the night to acclimate his body right. even at the bottom of the mountain, high level, right, and right. just was like, let's go hiking, and then went up. Right. Right. So. Didn't allow his body to acclimate, put his body under extra stress too, mm-hmm. right? That, that's right. not, you know, low exertion when right. you're when you're hiking a mountain. So, and this doesn't typically happen to just someone who's walking around the shops in Aspen. You know what right. I mean? It, it, it happens to people that are, you know, physically exerting themselves too. Right. Like we're going to see it more in mountain climbers and hikers and things yeah. like that. Or power so, shoppers. Sure. <laughs> power shoppers in Aspen. Yeah. It's a big problem. Big risk. Sweeping, sweeping Aspen right now is power shoppers. <laughs> big risk. So that's, I think, gonna cover it yeah. in terms of just those three types. You know, be mindful of them, assess for them. Treatment's very simple: descent, oxygen, maybe some steroids if you're if you're and instructed the steroids to do are, so. Yeah, and the steroids are mainly more for like cerebral edema. Mm-hmm. When you have edema on the brain, the steroids will kind of help reduce some of that edema. Again, a lot of the medications and things treat the symptoms, not necessarily the underlying issues. So, if it's an exam or something like that, like I said, descent is always going to be your answer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, much more, much more simple than diving, but we don't talk, we don't, we cover it pretty briefly in medic school and even in, you know, in, in medics, medical school and things like that. So a nice quick refresher on, on what these things are. Again, the symptoms are pretty straightforward, you know, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, headache, feeling short of breath. That's acute mountain sickness, right? All of a sudden we've got acute worsening shortness of breath, not going away at rest, at rest, excuse me. Um, Got to start thinking about high altitude pulmonary yeah, edema. We hear fluid in the lungs, right? right? Yeah, right. Confusion, ataxia, neurological symptoms, high altitude cerebral edema. Simple as that. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. And uh, again, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or you want to give us topics that you'd like to hear more about, uh, shoot us an email at podcast at uh, guardiantestprep.com. If you're studying for that NREMT or you're in medic or EMT school or just need a refresher on some topics like we covered today, check us out the rest of our programs at guardiantestprep.com. Have a great week. Stay sweet. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, we'd love for you to check out the rest of our content at guardiantestprep.com. 
We specialize in preparing EMT, AEMT, and paramedic students for not only their school, but also the National Registry exam at the end. Enter EMT Test Prep with over 15 hours of videos, workbooks, question banks, and everything you need to pass. We'd love to have you get involved. Again, guardiantestprep.com. Check us out.